0: Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zackney to wind down another week. And this week, we're talking about something that's near and dear to both of our hearts, very relevant right now, and that is marathon gaming. So I just, and we're recording this on a Monday, I just came off of a 72-hour gaming marathon uh, for the launch of Waypoint. So waypoint.vice.com, plug in my new website. Uh, so I haven't slept much, and Rob, I know you've been doing some marathon sessions. You've been doing some deep dives into games. So we've both been, like, hitting it hard this week. So what have you been, what have you been into that you've, you've done this deep dive
1: on? Uh, so I was really, I needed something kind of dark and grim and sort of down at the mouth. <laughs> it's so, Halloween. So, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so I found myself drawn to, uh, to The Last of Us. Because uh, oh, I, wow. I really wanted to see that scene where that little girl eats it. Uh, yep. One more time, because yep. that that is a brutal opening to a game, uh, with a brutal transition into gameplay, uh, and I was just like, that's a really great, like that's a powerful moment in a game. Uh, it is, and, and as flip as I'm being, uh, it, it it is just a just a really brutal moment, especially because your first minutes of the game are sort of inhabiting uh, that girl's shoes. So. I only intended to play a little bit of that, but I ended up playing through basically the entire Boston section in like one sitting. Wow. That's Um, a
0: good chunk. It is
1: a good chunk, especially because like that's actually one of the more in places, that's one of the more unbalanced segments of the game. Uh, There are some encounters that I don't think are amazingly well designed, uh, which I think contributed to a lot of people getting frustrated early in that game. Uh, but yeah, so I ended up playing like an entire night of Last of Us, and again, like perfect like home entertainment center type game. Had the curtains drawn, all that stuff. So I'm just sitting there, the pitch black, with like these creepy clicker noises all around me, and like running <laughs> water, and like good, and good God, um, I'm gonna get the cops called on me at some point because like, <laughs> so the Last of Us has a really good uh, sound mix in that. It's, it's, it's got a pretty decent volume. And then when all hell breaks loose, like, the dynamic range is, is – it really has a wide dynamic range. So shit gets, like, really loud and intense. Uh, and so once, like, the shooting starts, uh, I become, acu- like, acutely conscious of just how deafeningly loud and violent it suddenly sounds in my apartment. <laughs> sure. And it's an open courtyard. So, like, it sounds an awful lot. Like, if you were, like, a few doors down or something, it would sound an awful lot. Like, people are getting, like, shot and screaming. Yeah. Um, so I um, had, had little concerns uh, about that. But, you know, it was Halloween weekend, so, so who really cared? Uh,
0: <laughs> so people are just getting shot. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's you know, Halloween. Yeah,
1: yeah pretty it's much. It's, it's, it's
0: part of the festivities. It's part of the craziness. Places.
1: Yeah, here in America. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'll, t- I'll tell you this. Like, it was so satisfying to have one of those really long sessions. I think that was that was why I probably like ended up playing a little bit longer than I intended to. Because I just haven't done this in a while. Yeah. And it was really This is a weird it was weirdly relaxing. Yeah. Like I think for me, I became really conscious of like the way really getting like sucked into a game can be an amazing escape for your brain, like in the sense that as stressful as it is, it can be completely absorbing like it's it's yeah. almost like meditation, and that just sort of wipes out your other conscious thoughts, it sort of shuts down the inner narrator yeah. and you just sort of like become completely invested in the game, the characters, and the task at hand, and man, it was good to get back to that yeah.
0: I miss that I miss those days of of when I was a bit younger and I could be like I'm gonna sit down with a video game for you know six eight hours or whatever and just be completely enveloped especially a good video game that's not constantly sort of throwing you back out into the real world
1: well that's right because it it didn't count like that never happened with a shitty review game right like that experience didn't happen because then you're just watching the clock and being like all right so I think after like six, eight more hours, I'll, I'll let myself start writing this review. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then maybe this will be over. And then and then a game just becomes like a horrible detention uh, session. But yeah, that, that feeling of like really being engaged uh, is increasingly hard to come by, especially because as you get a little more mature and your life gets a little more complicated. Boy, is it hard to sort of justify keeping your ass planted yes. in that chair, uh, you know, past the two hour mark.
0: For sure. <laughs> it becomes like a wonderful indulgence to have time to do any one thing. And that's kind of with everything, not even just games. It's like, oh, I wish I could sit here and watch, you know, the entire season of Westworld or whatever. i That's not even out yet, but you know what I'm saying? Like it becomes this wonderful, amazing indulgence that its it's a little sad. It's kind of like, well, you know, I've gotten older and my life is complicated now and I'm busy and it's like, now that I have, you know, a salary – to, to, you know, perhaps buy the entertainment that I would enjoy. It's now like, oh, but so little time to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of, of the mind, of, of games or of, you know, movies or other experiences. Well,
1: Yeah, but like that's, I think that was maybe one of the things that started hitting me uh, this weekend. This is probably gonna be a theme for me in the this, in this show. Because um, there's, there's a few other things I'm gonna get to later uh, yeah. that have me in, in mind of this. But like at the end of that night i felt really sort of relaxed and liberated because it turns out like it's it sort of felt like i've been denying myself these nights a lot of times because i'm constantly like already sort of trying to anticipate tomorrow and get ready for it and like try to stay ahead of it so like man what bills do i need to like oh i should i should look at the budget tonight oh and then and then i should probably check in on those drafts and, and make sure that stuff's coming in on time and Oh boy! Like I need to plan for that for that one project, and the next thing you know, you're sitting there at, like you know, eight thirty at night on a Saturday, and you get your notebook out, and you're like yep. planning your Sunday, uh, so that like your Sunday can really be used effectively. And the thing is, like, <laughs> does that like does that ever really get you anywhere? Because like that's something I'm current, Like that was sort of the realization at the end of the night. Is like, yeah, I just blown like five hours on on Last of Us.
0: Yeah, it's it didn't really, really matter. Of- Exactly. It's kind of like, okay, we have, you know, relatively nice lives out of, out of the humans who live on this planet, right? I I would, I would say that. At least I would say that about myself. I have a pretty nice life. And I feel like, yeah, maybe there are times I need to actually be like, you know what? Fucking enjoy it. You have a nice life. And like, it's good to acknowledge that and acknowledge the things that you have that are good. And also be like, sometimes it's really fucking okay to take that time and, and do a you do you, you know? Like, like the treat yourself mentality sometimes needs to just happen. And sometimes it's okay if that happens with something solitary like this, like a really great game that you can just put your brain in and enjoy yourself. So I applaud that, Rob. I, rep- I applaud you doing so.
1: something else that I, th- I think was sort of, was sort of key to that experience is like, a game can encourage or discourage uh, that feeling, like Last of Us, is is really good at sort of drawing you in, in part because it's, it's it uses a lot of really effective storytelling, right? Like that is a game that kind of grabs you from like, grabs you by the throat, yeah. And its entire first act is just like running from like it's it, it, there are slower moments, but everything is framed in such a way that like as as an audience member, you kind of want to get to the next thing. So even though there were several break like points where I could have like taken a break. I was like, "Uh, you know what? I'll just I'll just get through this next sequence, right? I'll get through this I'll get through the uh the abandoned skyscraper and then I'll call it a night." Well, I'll, okay, I'll get through the historical museum and then I'll call it a night. Ooh, yeah. like downtown crossing. Oh, this is a cool sequence. I'll, okay, oh, one that's more. This is a
0: cool part. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and and so it keeps sort of like changing it up and and changing what it's asking of you. Like you know, one minute it's a very high-stakes stealth game. The next the next minute it's a uh you know, it, it it's a uh it's a walking simulator. And the next minute after that it's a it's a really violent action game. And it can it can toggle between those uh situations uh, really fluidly. Um but it sort of it keeps changing it up so that it doesn't really invite stopping as much, which is a really huge juxtaposition with um I'm also playing Mafia Three right now. Oh, okay, and good. I'm running into that open world game problem of like every time it's starting to like you know it's, it's getting some momentum after that prologue like every time it's starting to like feel like okay we're really cooking with gla- with gas now yeah. it's like okay but maybe you should stop go back to your hideout deposit your money because that's what that's what every badass mobster wants to do oh, is yeah. run to the bank and put his money put his money in there.
0: You do get uh, a concierge not long after who will just pick it up for you. But
1: yes, that but is there's something. there's a lot of housekeeping though, right? And yeah, it's like oh, is. one of your one of your uh, lieutenants has like left a kickback. It's not very much money, but it's just sitting there on the map. You should you should go, you should drive over there, check it out, yeah. and and get that kickback. And and so there's all these little like bite sized missions, and like you know they're fine, they're whatever, they're they're, they're okay, but. I think it's one, I think it's another reason why it's not just that my life has changed that uh, doesn't allow for a lot of these, like, marathon sessions, but it sort of feels like a lot of games, the way they're made, are definitely, like, almost tailored for people who live these really, like, chopped up uh, lives, right? Like, yeah. they're made for people who can only squeeze in 30 minutes at the end of the night or something, and and that has its rewards, like... I can pop into a Mafia game really quickly and, like, do something and then call it a night. And that's that's really cool. But I think what what gets lost a little bit in that is, like, that sort of theme park ride uh, approach to game design that sort of characterizes open world games really, I think, stymies that attempt to get completely immersed and I don't care, like I don't care about immersion in the like the holodeck like sense where it's like right. I need to like inhabit a completely virtual world. What I want though is like to be completely absorbed and sent somewhere else so that I can completely engage with a task and completely engage with a a work of uh sort of interactive fiction, as it were. Yeah. Um and not be and not be in that same mental state where I am the rest of my life, which is like checking the clock. How long, how long do I have? Do I have time to squeeze in one more mission? The Last of Us doesn't really give you that option, right? You have to force yourself to stop. But other than that, it's like it's content to keep you like hurtling along with that story, which was really refreshing. And it sort of occurred to me that like is one reason this experience has become more scarce, not just that like our lives have changed, but the games are being tailored for how our lives have changed. Yeah.
0: I think you're absolutely right. I'm going to refrain from saying Witcher 3, except for I just said it. <laughs> and I was playing Alien Isolation this weekend as part of our... Oh my god, I almost show. just brought
1: that up. Okay, yes, yes, yes.
0: And that's a game that, that also kind of does the Last of Us thing that we're talking about. But unfortunately, I, I, you know, and I, you know how much I love this game. We, we have talked Uh-oh. about it. I love this game. Did, just, you, did, it, you did
1: you reevaluate? Did you reevaluate your No, 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 not
0: at all. I, I still truly love that game. And, and I always felt like it was too long. It is a few hours too long, I think. Uh, I think it overstays its welcome a bit, um, but it it never breaks that sort of, that full immersion. It never breaks the, you're in it. You are in an alien movie. You are having this experience. You are this person. I always felt so embodied in uh, Amanda Ripley, and I always felt so much a part of that world, and it was always hard to stop, it was always hard to stop, even if I was having, like, almost a panic attack while I was playing that game, so it can it can be, you know, something that's even overdone a tiny bit or, or just goes on maybe a little bit too long, but it can still, I don't know, I, I still appreciate that so, so much about Alien Isolation, and playing it again, you know, I, well, I was technically sitting there, uh, Patrick was playing it, and Austin and I were kind of chatting about the game and about it, but just kind of being back in that world again, I was like, God damn, I love this game. And I love games that bring me somewhere and they keep me somewhere. And that's where my brain gets to be for a while. Makes me very, very happy. So I'm, I'm hearing this and I'm like, yes, Last of Us does that well. Alien Isolation does that well. Not many games do, <laughs> sadly.
1: No, and especially like, I think, especially Alien Isolation, um, in some ways it's so traditional, right? Like there, are, it has levels. You know yes. you, they're, yeah. like, they, they might be like a little more um, hub-and-spoke structure. They might be a little more in the system shop tradition of like they're also supposed to make some sort of sense as like fictional places, and yeah, that also for means sure. you sort of cover old ground a lot and have to backtrack, which is fine. But I think the, the really wonderful thing there is that it closes you in that system. And then it closes you in that geography and then it just like adds all this like rich detail on top of it so that like yeah. every, every, everywhere you go, it doesn't so much feel like you're seeing the limits of the simulation because it's like, yep, yeah, this is exactly what I should be seeing in a universe dominated by like Wayland yutani and stuff yeah. like that. Like, and Siegson. Cor- yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, poor Siegson. Crappy
0: Siegson. <laughs>
1: Yes, boy, Seekson is, is totally, like, the, um...
0: God, the shitty knockoff. Yeah, like, right, right? It's, it's like, yeah,
1: like, Weyland-Yutani is, like, like like Apple, and and Seekson yeah. is... I don't want to say Microsoft, but Seekson definitely made the Zune, right? Like, that's... Oh, for that, sure. That's definitely what happened.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the average Joe Zune. Yeah, that's exactly what it was.
1: Oh, my God, I, I just love, like, the, the fact the average Joe is just, it's, like, just absolute horror. Like it's just oh it just god, like yes. when you first encounter them before they turn evil, when the one just starts following you down the hall and just oh. keeps staring at you and you keep turning around and it just like is just checking you out and it's just is that folding oh, neck.
0: Ooh. Oh god,
1: I hate it. Yeah it's um, so wonderful. So oh. I wanted, I wanted to ask you about this uh this this seventy-two hour seventy-two yeah. games uh marathon live stream uh disaster. Um it, it certainly sounded like something that had had potential for disaster. Uh yeah. but like that sort of seemed like the um the, the dark, stressful counterpart to my experience, which was like, <laughs> oh man, I'm just gonna like I'm putting a ring on this game tonight and like we are going to have a wonderful intense focused monogamous gaming relationship tonight. Yeah. And you were in 72 hours of just we're like passing game. games around between <laughs> players and partners and like oh check this yeah. thing out Patrick. Oh yeah. yeah. So let me ask you um yeah. Tell, like talk me through that experience a little bit. Like was it like did did you glean any insights on on sort yes. of the the the, ta- the the people involved or the games?
0: Yes, absolutely. It, it actually was great. And I was so pleasantly surprised <laughs> that it went as well as it did. Um, and of course, I got to give a shout out to, you know, our team uh, to Austin, to Patrick, to Mike, to Danica, to Joel, and to our, all of our production friends because they made it happen. And oh my God, did we ever need like adults telling us what to do when we were this tired for sure? Uh, but, y- you know, the thing I think that was the most important about it is that it showed. Kind of our tone and our range, and you know we had segments that were absolutely bananas. You know we had the giant bomb guys on to play. Who wants to beat up a millionaire uh, and shoot shoot right? You know just ridiculous, ridiculous, goofy stuff. We and we also had like rappers come in. We had Chief Keef play VR. We had our uh, awesome sort of like uh, Vice podcasters, Jesus Marrow play Gears Four with us, and it was awesome and wonderful. And we also had things like we played a full game of Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective with Sam Barlow, like Sam Barlow, who wrote her story, is like sitting next to me, and here we are getting oh, wow. so into this case at eight in the morning after nobody's slept. And wait, it was so did you guys go through magic. the entire case? We went through the entire case, case seven.
1: Oh, I don't. The even whole have, case. I don't even have done case seven. What's the uh, who gets murdered in that one? Let me see if I can remember. Uh, it.
0: Oswald Mason. He's a treasurer. Treasury oh, yeah, totally, accountant?
1: yeah, totally read that one. Yep, 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 yep. Okay,
0: yeah, it was a good one. Uh, we we got somewhere with it. I don't think we fully solved it, but, like, we, I was, I was very pleased with how far we got for the state we were all in at that point, I think. Yeah,
1: like, that is a that is a uh, <laughs> dangerous game to bust out when people aren't at their best. I uh, busted yeah. out a consulting detective on a couple friends of ours uh, at the tail end of a really drunk uh, New Year's oh, Eve party. Oh, good. Good. So it was like one AM and and this was the perfect group of people for it. Yeah. We were just all shit hammered. Um, right. Right. Yeah. So we've been eating like garbage food and drinking like nothing but like stiff cocktails oh, from good. like seven PM through until like one AM. And then I was like, oh. All right, let's do consulting detective. Let's
0: consult.
1: Uh yeah. <laughs> and it was it was a terrible decision. Uh but it's still yeah. like I still really remember it. Uh but yeah, that is a uh yeah, what a great game. What what a what so a magical game.
0: We had so much fun. That was my first time actually playing it. We had talked about it a few times on Idle Thumbs proper and I was always like, I want to play. Um and then this was my first opportunity and what an opportunity to be like with a really awesome mystery writer, you know, doing this this case and he got all into it. And he was doing the voices, uh, you know, for what when you're reading the cases and you're reading the people you're interviewing, he was doing all the voices. It was fantastic. It was so much fun. And then we also had like From 3 to 4 a.m. last night, Joel and I, Joel is our our publisher uh, at Waypoint, we talked about, so he was a paramedic for years, and I'm an EMT, we talked about, like, mental health and medicine and our medical system, and we had, the chat was, like, very, like, oh, you know, thanks for talking about this. So we had everything in there, every tone and everything in between, and, of course, also, we did a tabletop role-playing game for, like, six hours last night, Uh, a full little uh, adventure in uh, Dungeon World. Yes, Dungeon World, which is sort of like a a much more streamlined and kind of fun uh, D&D sort of campaign. And we had uh, amazing, amazing uh, game master in Adam Koble, who is like a professional game master and he's so good at this and it was so funny and so fun. So we had everything tonally. We had the serious. We had a political correspondent from Vice come in today to tell us everything that was going on with the election while playing Tetris. Like we had... Everything. Everything. And that made me so happy and feel like, hey, it's actually possible to do this with a gaming website. We don't have to do, you know, sort of just the usual coverage. We can actually have all these different kinds of people from all different races and backgrounds and sort of professional backgrounds and who are good at all kinds of different things. And we can have them come on and play games with us and talk to us about what they do and sort of what's going on, what their relationship to games is. And it was magical like it, it actually you know I don't, I don't want to I'm not tooting our horn I'm just I'm just so pleased it went well but also that like it no, shows like, all these different things no, that to- we can actually toot away
1: do. like you should justly be, be proud of that because that was actually one Dude. of the things I was really envying was that sometimes games media can feel a little airless in that it's yeah. it's yeah. all games media people who are always involved in the discussion around games but there's not uh, sometimes it feels like the loop is closed and sure, we're not sure. taking in ideas or inspiration or insight from other media, from other forms of expression, from other forms of journalism. Yeah. And it was really cool <laughs> to sort of see Vice sort of, um, um, here's a dangerous corporate ass <laughs> word, but like seeing Vice sort of leverage its media relationships yeah. and its own breadth to do something. Uh, Really interesting, with uh, like not like it was it was a, it was a game stream, but it yeah. also sort of hinted at like the direction that I, I think you and Austin and Vice want to go.
0: Yeah, I I'm really yeah I, I'm just I'm really pleased that we can do that and that we have the space to do that. We're being allowed to do that, and Austin has like carved out this path. You know, editor in chief Austin Walker are are sort of like. Our leading man, yeah, He's okay, we got it. In, Austin's you know? great,
1: yeah. Okay, Austin is fantastic. That's, that's yeah. All that's all you need to
0: know is like Austin running a website.
1: Austin, Austin, you know? Austin.
0: Oh, I know, but it's true. He's great. No,
1: I no, know. I, I know. It, this is, this <laughs> is the this is the like this is the Austin Walker Coveting podcast. Is like yeah. if only Austin were here. It's a, it's Austin it's sort great. of the the waiting for Godot of podcasts, right? It's like, oh no, we have to save that topic for when Austin's around, you guys.
0: Oh God, we got to keep it for Austin. Leave it for Austin. Don't burn the don't burn the cast. I mean, Leave it's, it it's true. Have
1: we talked? We we are both <laughs> obsessed with cyberpunk, but have we talked about cyberpunk since yeah. Austin was on the show? No, we have not. Not
0: really. Because not really. We've been saving it that? for Austin. Yeah. See, this it's, is we joke. It's real.
1: Yeah, it's the <laughs> the, lo- the love is real. Like we are, we're waiting for that special moment to. Uh, to talk about cyberpunk again
0: the love is absolutely real and i also learned a little bit about like the power of you know this is my first week at a new job and uh that was hilarious because it was you know long hours and then then this ridiculous thing yeah that's we, a rough week that we did i, I slept at the office i mean you know slept for like two to three hours at a time we all kind of slept at the office and we were all obviously very tired um but nobody got snippy and that is the greatest thing ever oh that makes God. me have so what? much confidence. Like, I really actually mean that. Nobody got snippy. Everybody was, I got your back, man. I almost fainted on Friday night. I was just so exhausted. It was a long week even before sort of the whole thing. And I just wasn't feeling great. And I was scheduled for something. And everybody was like, don't even worry. Go lay down. You know, like, we'll cover it. And then, of course, I was happy to, to jump in and cover things for other people who got tired. It was like a very... That's a good thing to learn. I know this is sort of like inside baseball. I didn't necessarily learn that much about games in this particular context. But, like, I learned that my team has my back and that no, I'm happy to have their back. And that's fucking real. That is important, you know. No, that's
1: that's so important because, yeah. like, the same job can be either the easiest, most joyous yes. thing in your life. Or it can be absolutely, Hell. like, soul-crushing, <laughs> life-destroying. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of that comes down to, like, who are the people in the foxhole with you? Um, yes. And, yes. like there are people, you know, and that's, and that's really cool you had this, this experience because, like, <laughs> this isn't to say, like, you've never known someone until you've streamed 72 games in 72 hours with them. <laughs> like, sort of like James that's Bond you really I don't know. trust a man, I've never gone on a games marathon with. <laughs> like, before yeah. before you expe- you are accepted to my spy organization, we must go to the stream room. No, uh, but, so it's yeah. not to say, like, you don't know someone until you've been through that experience, but, like, You can tell a lot about like the kind of people your work, the kind of coworkers people are, Um, when you see them under some sort of uh, some sort of stress, right? Yes, and that can be a really revealing uh, sort of thing. And and when what what is revealed is like supportiveness and positivity, and like uh, an ability to still get the job done, that is such a huge weight off your shoulders because like that support's going to be there then day in day out. You can count on that. Um, and that's a world of difference from when people sort of show that they're not reliable in that sense. That like, yeah. there's some bad shit waiting to come out if if things get a little dire. Um, yeah. and that's and 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 that's when like the neg- That's when a job becomes toxic.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm real glad that <laughs> it went it went in the positive direction. I'm I'm sure. really
1: glad too because I'm just relieved that like. Like you and I weren't talking before the show, and like I'm really glad. That like the the top of the conversation wasn't like, like Austin's a monster. What have I done? Like <laughs> Did you he know? seems he seems really nice, but like no, he's he's he's
0: just like stomping puppies' faces in the background. Like I'm not sure if anybody noticed that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's
1: like he's like Citizen Kane with with a, with a with a doctorate. <laughs> like it's 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 fucked up. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Now he's the best. Everybody at points the best. Makes me happy. And I've I've been plugging, but it was a hell of a marathon and I still have not like really slept. I did take a nap afterwards and that was good, but yeah. Sometimes, it, and you know, this was like the ultimate expression of sort of the way we play games. Like, I was tasting a whole lot of games, but some of the games we played for several hours. Like, I we played that Sherlock Holmes game for a whole campaign. We played an entire Dungeon World, you know, full adventure. We played... You know, I played a, a good solid hour of Dishonored. I played a good solid hour of Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Awesome game. Uh, you know, so so I got to have, like, a good taste of several games. Yeah. We played a lot of terrible games, too, and that was instructive. Oh, I did learn something about video games in general. I, I will say this. Uh, we played Harvester, um, which is, uh, you know, this ridiculous 90s FMV adventure game, point-and-click adventure game, known as the most violent adventure game ever. However, it was actually, like, Hideously, hideously offensive, like racist as fuck, incredibly homophobic, incredibly sexist, incredibly misogynistic. And you know, we're we're playing this game and it was it was myself and Patrick and Pat Bear. Uh, and we're and we're all, we're like sitting there like oh man and we were having that moment I think all internally like should we turn this off like this is this is awful like this like, is actually
1: this awful. this is not the fun goofs we were expecting yeah like we're, we're like it's gonna like, be like oh, phantasmagoria be but bloodier yeah exactly and
0: exactly. instead it's like
1: what if it's like really shitty tro- like really, really yeah. shitty birth of a nation.
0: Yeah, basically. And we got to this point, and I hope I'm not spoiling this for anybody who wants to watch the, the video of it, but whatever, it happened already. We get to this point where, you know, you meet this guy. He's he's like this fucking edgelord in a top hat. He's like a mortician in a weird, like, dingy laboratory. And Pat looks over at us, and he's like, I bet this guy made the game. And we, we crack up. We're like, yeah, it seems like the type. I shit you not, like, ten minutes later, Patrick who's at the computer is like, guys, guys, he really made the game. That's really the guy who made this game. And we, we, it kind of redeemed the whole thing because we were like, okay, now we know where we're at. Uh, and, you know, we kept playing because it was like, okay, this is an artifact of a time and we're going to look at this and, you know, have our moment with it and see what's going on. And we kind of did our PSA thing where it was like, this is why satire requires thoughtfulness. Uh, because if you can't tell something satire or not, you're not doing your job well as a writer, so uh, you got to be careful with that. But man, that was a lesson. That sure was a lesson in uh, video game streaming and the '90s and what the fuck. Sometimes it's a. Sometimes you're in for a rough ride when you put in something you thought would just be a goofy piece of shit from the '90s.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, those uh, those old FMV games can be a real crapshoot, but. Uh, Whew. Yeah, I, I, I'd forgotten uh, how problematic. Uh, some of those, some of those little fuckers Whoa. can be. But I, I think also, like I, like I never encountered a lot of them, right? Like I'd never even heard of Harvester because I, mean, I hadn't
0: either. Yeah, yeah,
1: like because <laughs> usually, like that was that stuff was sort of screened out by the tastemakers of the era, right? Like you just well, you just the crazy didn't...
0: thing is, uh, Harvester. We played that on Steam. That was something that Night Dive, who otherwise put out like the System Shock remake and the Turok remake, you know, other games that are like they oh, rescued a that game. from obscurity. They picked Harvester. To bring to steam and i'm still trying to figure that one out i really am Have they I'm brought other fmb
1: like, stuff to, to steam
0: i am not sure i i just kind of you okay. know i had played the system shock and, and Turok and a couple of other things and i i didn't know about this one yeah. so
1: well hopefully um hopefully they make some better choices uh yeah harvester wasn't but.
0: wasn't the best
1: <clears throat> all right so uh yeah, I think I think we all uh, we all learned a great deal about marathon gaming. I think I think maybe you had the the richer experience, but on the other hand, I'm kinda glad I slapped.
0: Yeah. I I can't wait for that. <laughs> That'll be nice. That'll be good. Oh boy. Well, I think on that note, talking about sleepiness. Now nah, that's not a good segue. It's okay. But on that note, I think it's time for us to handle our weekend correspondence. We've got some good letters this week, as always. And we're going to go right into those. So our very first letter comes from Garrick. Garrick, Garrick, Garrick. Hey, R&D. After listening to Danielle talk about Westworld and the way we behave in relation to game AIs, I was reminded of my bachelor's thesis at the end of my philosophy degree about the application of ethical reasoning to decision-making in single-user virtual worlds. In my research, I found the framework of virtue ethics offered an interesting lens for thinking about behavior towards non sentient NPCs. While it's fairly clear that today's game AI isn't sentient enough to be worthy of concern uh, to utilitarian or deontological, hmm, I actually don't know that word very well, rule based ethics, virtue ethicists might ask whether, in acting on fictional characters, we are doing right by ourselves and our own values. To boil it down into one grossly oversimplified question, do the actions we take in video games, in light of their in-game context, reflect the kind of people we aspire to be or the values that speak to us, or would if we were actually in that fictional situation? Note that this is independent of any concerns about in-game behavior influencing behavior towards real humans. Obviously, this approach can get silly, I doubt all Civilization players are closet autocrats, but it's something I like to think about, and I personally shy away from violent or cruel resolutions to game situations that offer nonviolent options for success. But how do you two feel? Have you ever done something in a single-player game, with nobody watching, that's nevertheless made you feel uncomfortable in some way, whether because the game required it, by choice, or by accident? If so, how did you process those feelings? Apologies for a long email, looking forward to more, great podcasts as always. Garrick i uh, I also kind of try to go the hero route in in most of the games that I play. I'm a goddamn goody two shoes a lot of the time because a lot of the a lot of the sort of being a hero stuff it it speaks to me as a goddamn goody two shoes person you know i I want to be a cool space hero. I wish I was in you know Shepard's shoes and making all these great wonderful totally easy decisions about you know what's right and what's wrong in the universe and being this this moral you know paragon of virtue literally paragon of virtue um but i have certainly done things in games that made me feel like oh i feel a little little bad about that you know the very this is so cliched but the very 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 first time i uh, played bioshock and i killed a little sister i felt kind of bad about it i actually did i was actually kind of like that was mean I don't, I don't think I liked that. You and know, also, I kind of had that You don't even that get moment. that much
1: atom out of it either, so it doesn't You really feel, don't. Like, like, yeah, I was expecting yeah. a little more, like, if you're going to make give me give you bust, those teddy bears. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> that know? evens out the economy. Like, I'm pretty sure I think it evens... Like, I would bet you it almost evens out in terms of how Yeah, I think it probably does. Yeah. Uh, and, and really, like, if you're going to make me bust open that little, like, little girl pinata for her <laughs> delicious slug... Um <laughs> Yeah, you better make it worth my while.
0: Goddamn right.
1: <laughs> uh, so my sins are many and varied. Yes. Um, okay. It's interesting you brought up Bioshock because that was actually one of the that was actually a game where I started to become uncomfortable with violence in a game. Sure. Um, in and I might have talked about this on the show at one point, but uh, but I'll bring it up again here. Um, after a point. Like, the thing about Bioshock was that a lot of times it encouraged you to resolve encounters the most bloody, like, risky way possible because you wanted to save ammo, right? So, like, if you just had your everyday run-of-the-mill splicers, uh, the, the, the preferred way to handle that was to get in their faces and just club the hell out of them. Like, because yeah. why waste a bullet? Uh, unless you were washing ammo, like, it was, it was usually better to just, like, beat people to death. Yeah. So that required getting close to getting close to these characters that after point started to really freak me out a little yeah. bit. Like there were certain levels like you you could hear them down some stairs, right? You you'd hear them with their with with their you know, cr- like crazed ramblings and everything. And it started to touch on this weird like You know, like, representations of of severe mental illness uh, in games and and media. And and the way that's often used as a signal for, like, these people are a massive threat to you. And they are hideous. And they are scarcely even human. They must be destroyed. And that can be a little uncomfortable. And especially it gets uncomfortable when, like, as started to happen to me in Bioshock. I started to really fucking hate these things. Like, Mm. I hated... Like, cause, cause it was, it was, cause I was, I was constantly like paranoid, right? I was constantly looking over my shoulder. Like what's, what's coming down? What's, what's after me? What are the footsteps? Where are they? So I started really hating the sound of these people ranting to themselves, you know, like screaming, like, you know, it's. Uh, I can't even, I can't remember exactly what some of them are saying, but it's, it, it, it's, you know, carrying on one sided arguments with, with no one or screaming it's not their fault and stuff and like Yeah. Like, and crying yeah. and wailing and moaning. Being in yeah.
0: pain, obviously. Yeah. And
1: yeah. my reaction, it, it like switched from like, because it was freaking me out, like I was trying to really crawl through this game. And I was like, no, I need to get fucking like suited up for this. Like I need to mentally get ready to just like go down there and beat the shit out of these people. And so I got in this place where I really fucking hated these things. And I was going down there and like, all right, I'm going to fuck that guy up. Like, shut up. And I was just like, you know, club him in the head. Like, you know, put the brains all over the wall. Turn to the, you know, woman screaming screaming at me, like shot through the head. And I was like really like, not exulting in it, but it was this like weird, all that stress and like, Paranoia had just come out in this like all right, I'm just gonna go full terminator and i'm gonna like yeah. and i'm gonna kind of enjoy this like because I hate these things now, <laughs> and in the wake of a few encounters like that, I was like, this feels kind of gross, yeah, like yeah. this is making like this is this isn't like this is somehow making me feel morally culpable and that's i think where where garrick's uh, letter comes in uh I think most games i don't feel that way at all because it's a fictional character. It's a fictional world. Like my character in Saints Row 3 can do whatever the fuck
0: yeah, sure. uh, he,
1: he or she wants because it's, it's Saints Row.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. a tone question too, where it's like, this is obviously a cartoon. Yeah. We're all on board with this kind of thing. Yeah. Right, like
1: nobody's really dead, or it doesn't really matter that much. Um yeah, it's 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 actually a, a charming comedy about friendship. It's the big Lebowski yeah. of games. But yeah. it, like Bioshock isn't really a laughing matter in that situation. But it was this it was this weird moment of like This feels like somehow the muck and the mire has gotten onto me. Yeah. And I was like, I think I need to approach the rest of this game differently. Um, And because it's Bioshock, I still killed everyone. Let's be clear. Like, I still, like, like, don't worry. This is not like how, this is how I beat Bioshock nonviolently. No, no, no.
0: No. No.
1: I, like, I still murdered everyone, but I did it in a much more decorous fashion like (laughs) instead of just like going down there with a with a hunk of like wrench or something like that i'd be like yeah screw you and like (laughs) smashing skulls in instead i became very much like um well they're just mad dogs You know, I was, I was was very, (laughs) picture, picture Atticus Finch, but like covered in the weapons at the end of the matrix, right? Like think of like Atticus Finch meets Neo at the end of the matrix. And that's kind of what I was doing. It was like, well, this is unfortunate, but, and then kills 50 people. Uh, that's kind of how I went about it. But in that weird, like for for that, like two hour period where like my freak out was at its maximum and my frustration with these enemies was at its maximum, um, It was one of the few times where I've ever really been left feeling ill by some in-game violence because it seemed like it had crossed out of the game in some way. And I found that really weird. Um, The other thing that I want to bring up is uh, I have absolutely presided over genocides in uh, U4. And it's weird because like, okay, so in Civilization you can launch nukes, but... One civilization nukes are they aren't real nukes. Like they reduce the population of a city, but it's not like a modern ICBM would you know would just like erase uh, an Humanities entire area. Done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can have a nuke is just a really big satisfying bomb in uh, in Civ, so that, that stuff doesn't count. What I'm a little more ambivalent about is in European Universalis... um. So a little explanation. Mm-hmm. One of the things that sort of keeps you from just sort of steamrolling across the entire planet in EU4 is that every region has sort of its, uh, its native nationality, its, its native, uh, like, national identity. And at the start, like, most countries in that game, most nation states only have... Uh, like one national identity right so the issue you run into as you expand is that like you're France and you're rapidly expanding across Europe you've conquered parts of England uh, you're into Spain uh, you're almost up to the German border the problem you have is that a lot of the people in your country don't consider themselves French and mm-hmm. therefore you have this like sort of inherent level of unrest um, and that can be dealt with a number of ways you know you can sort of crack down and uh, allow for more autonomy, and or you can send in more troops to occupy. There's a lot of ways you can handle it. Uh, one of the other ways you can handle it, though, if you really want to invest some of your resources, is you can start um, what we'll call cultural conversion. And uh, that's what the game terms it, uh, which is basically like you consume a lot of your administrative resources and you consume time, and slowly but surely... Uh, a region goes from being like, oh, these people consider themselves Burgundians. Well, now they're French. Cool. <laughs> um, and actually, that often first starts with converting them to the appropriate religion. So there's a whole systematic like process of um, of conversion. You know, first you take their faith, um, and that can be hard, uh, especially like getting people from one sect of Christianity to yours isn't super difficult. When you're trying to, like, convert someone to Islam who's, like, diehard Catholic and they're yeah. not your nationality, it gets, it gets pretty difficult. It's uh, a little gross, too. Yeah, there's in, a lot of in coercion involved. Yeah. yeah. So the thing that can happen, though, as you start converting people, these, uh, na- these, these national identities, is that whatever group they're originally part of... Um, well, a couple things can happen. Uh, sometimes your 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 empire can accept multiple identities, like as like, as, like first class citizens. So you can have like a polyglot empire. Um, they're a little bit inherently less efficient, but it's still sort of a cool way of like incorporating. Oh, we're Turkish and we're Greek and you know we're sort of this cool like melange of of, of identities. Once you start converting these people um, to your core identity, though. Uh, some of those accepted nationalities can become, like, unaccepted. They can, like, the game sort of reacts and says, oh, these are second-class citizens now. And if you push it far enough, you can actually erase these identities. And the game just sort of comments, like, yeah, that identity is kind of gone. Uh, And the few people who are left are basically reduced to, like, serf or slave or nomad status, uh, but they're politically inert. Um, So congratulations, you're done. You've done it.
0: Oh my god! It's so weird to, to you know, have that be a, a mechanical like game element, like a sterile kind of like element on a on a on a page, kind of like like it's it's just so weird to me. It's so wild to me that that's like how it's how it's done in in like those systems.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Paradox are unusual in that like they sort of tackle it. Like this yeah, is no, it's the- good.
0: I'm just uh, I'm just like expressing like wow, <laughs> what a thing, you know, like what? what a thing, you know, to to have and. In-
1: yeah no and and that's and that's definitely the <laughs> that's sort of the thing is like it it's so bloodless that like at times you just sort of don't realize the import of what you've done, like you clicked on four provinces and yeah. you're you've converted these people to to your national identity, and the game does nothing to sort of like you know it doesn't say what cultural conversion means like you know it doesn't it's not a game that's like uh yo, you're you're running pogroms, you know that, right? Like you're burning down like houses of worship and like killing village leaders. You cool with that? It it, it it doesn't really point to most of that, though occasionally you do have to confront like the uh the effects of of what you're doing uh in like in like narrative events. Um but yeah. Uh it's so the thing is that's definitely one of those things that um I become more uncomfortable with in retrospect, because like the first time I did it, I didn't really think about what I was doing until the message came up that, like, oh, you've exterminated these people. And I was like, oh, I didn't know I was doing that. <laughs> like I, I was like, yeah. no, I was just trying yeah. to, like, I just wanted them to be French. Like, that was the idea. Like, I wasn't, like, trying to, like, wipe these people out. But the game's like, no, they're wiped out, dude. Like, they're gone. <laughs> uh, and it's but, your fault. You did it. Yeah.
0: You know, like, holy shit.
1: And so it was a weird thing. And so it's a tool I don't avail myself of very often anymore even though there are places like and this is sort of the brutal thing about eu is um you know if you're playing the imperial game there's times where that is that is the winning play you know what i mean like sorry if you wanted to keep expanding and you didn't want to be completely tied down administering your empire um you know what they say about omelets uh and that's and that's kind of like that's kind of the lesson um, and and so you really have to sort of choose like do you just do you keep this imperialist train rolling, or do you try to look inwards and and sort of focus on uh, building a greater you know nation state like you know from within, uh, but yeah so it's an it, so it's an interesting it's an interesting topic and, and it, when we talked about this on um, three moves ahead around the hearts of iron game I think we talked about how interesting it was that in EU four none of us feel weird about that. But if you were to take that out of the context of like the fifteen and 1600s and like suddenly it's the late 1800s, the nineteen you know the the 20th century, yeah uh that those kind of mechanics become really dangerous to play with, yeah. really bad, yeah. Um, so yeah, um in, in terms of did that make me feel morally culpable? The answer is I wasn't sure, right? It just felt weird. It just felt weird to be that all um, ends justifying means about the entire thing, and so it is a mechanic I tend to use sparingly. But I'm not going to lie, man. Like, it's still something I use a fair bit. You know, when you know, if it's the margins of the empire and like those people have their own nation state, it's fine. It's one province. Like, I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely pulling that trigger. <laughs>
0: wow, it's a deep, yeah. I'm going to go with what you just said because you you are more awake than I am. But also, yeah, that's a, it's a hell of a thing. And I, and I do worry, I do worry all the time about sort of what my thoughts say about me, what my fantasies say about me and what my play style says about me. If I don't kind of go on the the goody two shoes path.
1: All right. Our next email comes from Corey in Berkeley. Hey, R and D on last week's pod, though possibly two weeks ago as this is being read, Rob read an excerpt from a review that concluded with the rather dismissive notion that Luke Cage is doing nothing more than asking, but what about black-on-black crime? Having watched eight episodes, having seen almost nothing but enormous positivity from uh, people of color both in my life and my social media feed, and having enjoyed it enormously, even as a white male, I have to say that it feels like this person was either coming into this with an axe to grind or was letting their own progressive worldview, second, third, and even fourth guess how they should feel about this. <laughs> as someone who views themselves as extremely progressive, I have found myself at times rushing to either defend or condemn something that almost, almost reflexively before considering the larger picture. Luke Cage certainly falls into some territory that could be considered stereotypical, but when I look and see so many women and uh, persons of color in, in the credits of the show... Uh, it makes me question where the line is between a stereotype and a genuine portrayal that looks like a stereotype. Uh, how do you navigate the minefield of being progressive while not overstepping into unwanted savior territory <laughs> in your own lives and output?
0: Uh, I think this is a very, very good question, and I know a lot of people who struggle with this at least at times, or or wonder if they're struggling with it, or if they're they're worried about struggling with it. And I think it's like. This really is just a gut check thing and it's also a be fucking thoughtful and read and listen to the opinions of, of in this case people of color and just go with your gut and 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 do so in a in a way that feels honest and thoughtful and that's just it. Like if you're someone who really really is just, Like, no, no, I just, you know, I, I, you know, like you feel so much white guilt and you're like, I hate white people. And I, you know, kind of doing that whole thing. Like, like it's okay to breathe and take a step back and be like, okay, all right, cool, man. Like, here's what this is. Here's what this show is. Here's what it seems to be saying. Here's what people have read into this. Here's what people of color have said about this. Here's, Here's all this stuff. Here's all this information. Just go with your damn gut. Because I think it can be very, very difficult to, uh, to, to you know, to, to kind of walk that weird line between, like, have I said the right thing as a good progressive? And here's how I feel about this thing. Um, and if you f- the way you feel about something is that this feels racist or it feels gross or it just doesn't feel right. Even if other people have thought it was okay, it's okay to feel that way. You know, like it's, it's, it's okay to, to have that honest reaction.
1: Um, that's, I mean, that's why we have the word problematic so that we don't yeah, have to it own is, that feeling. <laughs> it
0: is. Well, I mean, like.
1: No, but yeah, a little bit, right? Be like honest
0: with your damn self is what I'm saying. Like be honest with your damn self. Be thoughtful in the way that you approach everything. Be thoughtful in the way that you interact with people. But, but be honest to your own opinion, the way you feel about something. Yeah. And yes. Sometimes things are problematic.
1: Well, no, but I mean that's a, the, like to a degree that word can sometimes function as a smoke screen, but it can also express that feeling that like you feel there are meanings beyond what is positive in the thing you're seeing, and you can't like you can't quite put your like you can't actually definitively call it one one way or the other. But there are certain things in play, certain themes, uh, certain stereotypes, certain things that like. They're just they're just out there in this work, and you're not sure they're being handled responsibly. But you're also not sure like there's anything like really culpable or or, or deeply concerning about that. Like those are those are places where you know it, it merits a little more consideration. Um, yeah. But the other thing I remember is like audiences aren't monoliths. Like right. like it's it's easy to see like. It was really interesting when Empire came out uh, because that was another case where I saw a lot of uh, people in my feeds, uh, you know, uh, persons of color and and such, being really positive about a show. And then I also saw a massive undertow uh, within those communities of negativity about Empire and especially about Lee Daniels. Um, And, like, it's a reminder that, like, man... There is no, like there's no uniformity of opinion. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's there's yes, every yes. audience has has its own uh, diversity and and divergent worldviews, and that's something that uh, makes me feel a lot more comfortable about critiquing something that that maybe you know isn't even necessarily aimed at me or or is certainly speaking to a a different audience. Uh, but you also have to remember that hey. Actually, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, and chances are you're going to find people um, with world, like with very different lived experiences than you, uh, who will still somehow end up on the same side of, of that argument with you. And so you you sort of you know as you as you said, said Danielle like you kind of got to just have your reaction and, and call it like you see it. Um, yeah, and the other thing I try to I try to separate is just, and I haven't seen the show. Like I I, I need to see it, um, because I can't I Me can't too. comment on Me it too. on it more than that. But, yeah. um, <clears throat> I'm also very comfortable at drawing a line between, like things that in terms of their production represent some values that I like, and then the thing that is produced. Like sure. I think it's awesome that Shonda Rhimes shows. Feature really diverse casts and cast actors sort of uh breaking stereo uh you know br- like cast against type uh from time to time provided yeah. that type is still like young and hot um <laughs> but uh you know i think that's that's all fantastic um I also got through a season of How to Get Away with Murder and realized that that thing was dog shit. And I never wanted to see Embrace it. Anatomy. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, you know, yeah. it's great that like, there are these opportunities uh, opening up for uh, you know, women and uh, actors of color. At the same time, it is perfectly valid to look at all that and be like, man, that's great. That's how more shows should be produced. They should also be written a lot better than that one. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's a totally fair reaction. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes, it's okay to have a nuanced opinion, even though I know the internet doesn't always uh, seem conducive to that, or Twitter doesn't always seem conducive to that. But yes, it's okay to have that nuanced opinion. And the last thing I'll say on this is it's also totally okay, and here's where you need to have a little bit of a, a little bit of savvy, but it's also totally okay to sometimes step back from the conversation as a white person and like read or watch or listen more than you talk. Like that's also an okay thing to do and sometimes a smart thing to do, like to do the signal boost thing. It's okay to have an opinion. I just ask that you be thoughtful just in general to everyone. I'm not saying this to you, Rob. I'm saying this to all you. Yeah, but I got to, I got to get in there. I
1: got to explain. Like I got to tell people like, no, this is, I've I've sort of thought about it and (laughs) I, I figured it out.
0: Um, right. Exactly. Sorry,
1: sorry, Wesley it's Morris. Cool. I've I've read your piece and I've had about <laughs> five minutes to think about it. So uh, get get out of the way. Here comes Zachney. Exactly,
0: yeah. exactly. Here comes the Zach. Uh, it's very like it's like there are times where I actually really do think it's good. For you, if if you are, like, a you know, you're down for the cause, you're a happy progressive, you believe in equality, you want there to be equality among races, among genders, among classes, it's totes cool, man, to be like, you know what, I'm going to signal boost somebody who's saying something smart instead of just going off on a rant. That's a totally cool thing to do. You don't have to do that. I'm just saying that's also an option available to you, <laughs> and, a, and a very good one in some cases. So, yeah. Oh good I'm, I'm glad we're getting these good questions here and I hope I'm not saying anything ridiculous on 72 hours of no sleep uh, but okay next uh, question comes from Joseph who writes hi weekenders following up from the Bioshock infinite chats I wanted to ask one of those big questions that you like to engage <laughs> oh, good. with occasionally it's been a
1: slow night <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly, so slow, uh, do people really have worldviews, or do we just use whatever is on hand to justify whatever we want to be saying right now? For example, Bioshock Infinite may well have had equivalence uber-allies, allies, allies, but it had it from a centrist horseshoe theory kind of way, while in this election, the equivalence objection is coming from the Stein-Bernie bros left with the idea that Clinton and Trump are equivalently right-wing from their position. This leads to people I'm pretty sure I saw tweeting about uh, B.I.'s terribleness and false equivalency talking about writing campaigns for Bernie and how they're they're not sure Hillary will be better for the world and our America than Donald. Isn't this just the same argument being inconsistently applied? I know I do this, sometimes flipping literally mid-conversation, so I'm not trying to be one of those nasty people on Twitter. But you two are people who seem to be pretty consistent and well thought Mm. out in your opinions, or at least aware when they might not be totally sustainable, but you believe it anyway. Best wishes, Joseph. I
1: there's a lot here.
0: Really hate false equivalencies. Just as a thing in life, it's a it sure is something that makes me very, very angry. And it I understand, I do understand the uh, you know, the sort of human need to simplify things. Uh, From some level, our brains, our hardware, our software, rather, whatever, hardware and software, they were not designed to live in a planet of 7.5 billion people with the amount of information that we take in every day. And I think we all do our best, but we're very, very poor at actually fully sort of parsing all the information available to us. So we make a lot of snap judgments. We make a lot of kind of shitty, stereotypical opinions. We make a lot of these sort of mental shortcuts that lead to a whole lot of problems And false equivalencies happen when we kind of start, you know, going down those roads. And it's a very, very difficult thing to try to untangle yourself from that. And I am certainly not immune to it. I don't know if there's really an answer here other than, again, just trying your goddamn best to be thoughtful and to to take a step back when something is really pissing you off or really confounding you or really, you know, when you're really having a, a moment with something, too. If you can to like take a step back and be like, okay, why am I feeling this way? Why am I thinking this way? Why am I doing this? Uh, reactionary stuff is everywhere, and I think it's sort of taught us to be reactionary in a lot of ways. And in any way, we can fight against that instinct. I oh, think. Is man, a, that uh, sounds generally good. That thing. sounds
1: like a line of thinking, though, that ends with you saying, "I guess the difference <laughs> between Fitzroy and Comstock is how you spell the name." Oh my- Danielle, let me blow your mind here. What if good intentions <sighs> yeah. and trying to be conscientious and finding middle ground leads to false equivalence? Oh my god, oh no! It oh no!
0: What if it leads to nuclear destruction, Rob? What if it leads to the bird in the sky, his name is Songbird, and it was only a crappy thing he used at the very end? What if that's what it led to? Oh
1: man. Poor songbird. He deserved better than he got, both mechanics-wise and to the the end of his <laughs> story. Everything. Uh, anyway, all of the ways. Uh, yeah. So there's. Oh man, there's so much here. Um, oh, there is. Okay. So let's let's take this in reverse order. Okay. Um, for me, it's uh, for me, it's like, is that is is sort of the people who like bemoan the false equivalence in in like media in talking about like our electoral options, let's say, or or our policy options. Um, Are those same people like applying this principle inconsistently uh, when they then like sort of uh, tar someone like Hillary, a a center, uh, center's politician uh, with the same brush that they, that they, uh, that they tar Donald Trump. And the answer is to an extent, like one, I actually don't think there's that many people. Uh, who, who sort of fit this mold. I, I really don't. Like, I, I think that... I hope not. <laughs> I, I, I think, like, you're going to find diehards in every cause, but, like, I don't think the far left, the left, is, is all that confused um, in general about, like, what their real options are uh, this election. Uh, I think there's a lot of disappointment. There were a lot of people, I think, who got sort of involved for the first time Around like Bernie Sanders' campaign because it was sort of a different message and one that like resonated with a lot of people who sort of come of age politically uh, in in the in sort of the political and economic environment we've had for like the past ten years. Um, but I don't think that there's this huge like groundswell of people who who can't sort of see the difference uh, between between Hillary and Trump. Um, where I think it's a little more interesting is like. If you imagine like Hillary was running against generic Republican, like say say a Romney or something, yeah. would a lot yeah. of those people maybe now would a lot more of these people be saying be saying like there's no real difference? And I think if you're standing if you're sort of like if you have positions on lots of different policy issues, right, there's still a lot of meaningful differences. You know what I mean? Like if you care yes. about if you care about climate change, for insta- instance, um It doesn't matter if the Democrat is center right, you still kind of got to back the Democrat probably because at least there's sort of acknowledgement on that side versus like what's on the Republican side. So there's, there's,
0: it's at least in the platform. Yeah. Yeah. The party platform.
1: Yeah. So there's, so those differences uh, still, still really matter. But if you, if you really sort of get really like fixated, like the the single issue voter or uh, the single access voter, if you're really like really focused on that economic justice and, um, you know, redistribution of of, of wealth uh, part of, of the platform that, that someone like Sanders offered, it's not crazy to look at someone like Hillary Clinton and someone like Romney and say, from my perspective, there is no difference because both of these candidates are still kind of at the beck and call of...
0: They're part of a political machine. Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. And they're not going to make any kind of radical transformation that I care about, and they're going to further entrench uh, these interests. So, from my perspective, um, I think both rotten hell and I'm writing in Bernie on my ballot. Um, And I don't think that's and I don't think that's crazy, by the way. Like one way that parties change is by having people sort of go full Rorschach and and refuse to compromise, right? Like now that, that leads to dark places. It leads to it leads to Donald Trump being the nominee of your party. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but at the same time, like do like I, I think chances are this this Bernie like the Bernie Sanders phenomenon pulled Hillary a little left and, and if it's if it continues, uh will probably push the Democratic Party a, a little to the left. Whether that happens fast enough for the diehards is you know, unknown, but so I think I, I think that's kind of where the equivalent the equivalence can both be founded on like real belief that for the things I care about there's there's no difference between these two people. It can also be tactical, where just I'm going to pretend they don't see the difference to force this person to uh to come over to to my way of thinking. Moving backward from that though, um do people have worldviews? Or do they just take observations and facts from around them to justify what they're already thinking and feeling? Uh,
0: I think that people do have worldviews. I just think they shift quite a bit. And I think they shift in ways that aren't always the most positive thing. I think, I think they're very pliable to sort of... I think here's a way of looking at it. You're, you're sort of on one highway or another, right? It, not one or another. I don't mean to make this like a binary, but just to simplify my analogy. There's, there's a whole lot of like side roads you can take for sure. There's, there's different sort of general paths, but there are, there are general beliefs you can have. Like somebody with a, a very, very, very serious um, feeling that they are in charge of their life and that people are responsible for themselves and being in charge of their lives. That's a worldview, and that can that coheres to a lot of sort of different political beliefs uh, that are, you know, the opposite of, of a lot of my political <laughs> beliefs, for sure. Um, but, like, it, it does come from, like, a very, very, you know, like, at, the, at its very base, why do people think the things that they think? Um, and, yeah, uh, they'll, they'll adapt that to sort of bring in new information, but there's always interpretations that will sort of cohere to that worldview. They'll stay kind of on those side roads of those bigger highways
1: see i'm not sure they do like i I approach this from a different so when i studied international relations the thing that i read that resonated the most with me was uh the school of realist thought and the sort of defining feature of the realists is that everything is sort of about expedience like people like people follow their (laughs) self-interest and then everything else they build up around it is horseshit to justify that self-interest like (laughs) <laughs> it's to create that narrative that like there was a principle but really there wasn't it was just you needed a, you you needed both for for to, to tell the world and to tell yourself uh that, that no like there, there was a guiding principle be- behind the fact you totally screwed your neighbor uh it was it was done for a noble reason rather than like they had something you wanted um
0: well that's cognitive dissonance that's like just a pure that's just rationalization right that's just like yeah, no, you know you, the things you tell yourself to feel okay at night. But like, don't you think those things come from a, an even deeper place? Like those those quote unquote principles don't they come from like lessons learned in childhood and and through your culture and all that sort of stuff that like guides you towards those rationalizations?
1: Yeah, but then we're in sort of hypocrisy. Is uh, what is it? Hi- hypocrisy is the uh, <laughs> is the homage <laughs> virtue pays to vice pays to virtue. Um, (laughs) like, no, I think that's, I I think that stuff, like, gives you your framework. Like, I think that will determine the shape your rationalization takes. Sure. But I'm not always sure that it is what sort of determines where your sort of beliefs come out, right? Because, like, look at at political philosophers, like, (laughs) like really labored hard over, like, so how good is divine right of kings? Like, that's not an accident. <laughs> sure. Like, you have people like... They
0: spend a lot of time on that. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, you know,
1: I've, I've really thought about it. I've, I've sort of, you know, I've sort of thought about my faith. And I've gone back to, of course, like, first principles. Like, you know, what is, what is, object- what is reality? What is perception? Um, sure. And having gone, started from there, I think the guy born to the royal woman uh should be the king always and never be questioned. I think that's 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 the way this should. That's the way this should work, right? Sounds good. Glad we're all agreed. So, I don't know like I think yeah, I'm trying to I'm I'm, I'm trying to like I don't know if I I don't know if I want to say I'm like that cynical. I'm just not sure that politically in, in in questions of politics, I'm just not sure. Like are, like principles run as as deep as uh, as self interest. Um,
0: I think that's fair. I think that's absolutely fair. Especially you know we are talking in a political context. I guess I'm thinking in terms of like your broadest like I'm thinking worldview is like how you see the world, which includes political opinions and includes things like why you know issues of morality, issues of right and wrong, issues of ethics. But it's not, you know, just limited to politics. But specifically with politics, I do agree that people mostly are are just trying to act in their own self-interest. I agree with that completely. Um, but, but I think- you know, I do think there's room for people to give a shit about other people, for sure. I I think I do. And I think a lot of people do. Uh, but, but we do vote. I, I, I think a lot of people feel very under siege when it comes to politics. They feel their way of life is under siege. Like people on the right feel that way, people on the left feel that way. And so it gets very personal and it makes, it kind of brings out the worst in people in a lot of ways. And it makes us more selfish. It makes us vote in the most sort of, uh, in terms of our self-interest and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. I guess the thing I I guess I I, I should stress is that I don't think a lot of people, I don't, I don't think it's like, it's this Machiavellian process of like, I see something and then I just reach out for the nearest justification to help me. Like, how am I going to use this to sort of justify, uh, to justify what I believe? Uh, I think after a point, like, I think a lot of people are sort of, they're shaped by their experiences and the values of their, like, and, and the values of their society. Um, yes. And after, and, and after a point that sort of gives them a value system uh, that, I, I, that I tend to think maybe does have its roots in, in some form of, of self-interest, even, even collective self-interest. Sure. Um, and then I think people tend to defend that, that, series, that system of beliefs, uh, and they tend to interpret the world in a way that will continue to allow them to defend that, that system, uh, which is why I think like, real change is hard. You know, like, like, and I, I mean, like, just changing minds, like, is really, really freaking hard. And I think that's the the frustrating thing of like, sort of the election season is that it's all it's all premised on this this notion that like, we're having a great, like, we're having a debate, we're having a discussion about like the direction the country should go, and 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 really, like, there's not like minds aren't going to change for the most part. The elections, not, like, elections aren't decided on that, and that's that's sort of the the scary and and amazing thing is that. You know, <laughs> year after year, like it doesn't matter who the two candidates are, forty uh, percent of the country is going to be totally locked in on one, and forty percent is going to be locked in on the other, uh, and then.
0: But it wasn't always this way. Is the other thing that's that's yeah. crazy about it? Like we really are in an era of of incredible divisiveness politically and it it, you know not that not that it's ever been like wonderful and great i don't even mean to begin to imply that by by any stretch of the imagination but it it has gotten worse in the last couple of decades at least the the term the time i've been a voter things have gotten worse in that respect and, and more cutthroat in that respect so i i don't i don't know what will make it better i really honestly don't like i'm i wish we did and i think it's worthwhile to pursue those questions and pursue like how the fuck do we heal some of the rifts in our culture in our country um but i definitely do not have an answer to that <laughs> man all right well on that note yeah Woo! <laughs> good, good times you know, i mean politics are so fucking difficult and we're obviously we're what you know a week out from from an election that has been just destroying everybody's soul. For the last couple of years, so, you know, it's not, it's not the happiest time uh, to talk politics, but, um, you know, I will continue to be encouraged by those in my life who give a shit about other people and who act on that feeling of giving a shit about other people and doing the things that they truly believe uh, will help this world. And I know that that definitely goes for people on the other side of the fence as well. But I I will continue to just be it? encouraged by people who give a shit.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no.
0: I I I know. Believe me, that's my instinct as a as a total queer. And my instinct <laughs> is definitely to think there's one side of this fence that's well way more right mean, than the this, other. In, way in this more particular
1: correct. election, I think there is. <laughs> like this. This is one of those few yes. cases where it's like I don't look. I've got like I've got a lot of conservative friends. I don't have a lot yes. of I don't have any conservative Trump fans, Trump fans yes. in my life. Yes. Uh so this I is like it's way. a really useful <laughs> litmus test of uh like what one's ideological commitments truly are. And I think Trump is yeah. is exposed um a lot of troubling yeah. things yes. about that. But
0: uh, he literally exposed a lot of horrible shit. So yeah, yes, for sure. Um <laughs> And on that, that beautiful note, um, I think it's time for us to talk about our weekend projects. Uh, the things that we're using to not think about this horrible shit. Now, now this you know—this comes with, with the, the caveat that I do think it's worthwhile to participate in the political process. Please vote. Please do read. Please do be engaged. But do not do it to the point where you hurt yourself and definitely take breaks and, and entertain yourself with things. So, Rob... What are the things that you are super in love with right now that are giving you that wonderful break from this horrible political hellscape that we exist in? Cuban
1: at 1600 is a fantastic podcast. It's like the idle thumbs of electoral (laughs) politics, and I've really been into it. Uh, No, Um, but for a real answer, uh, though I do do really enjoy that podcast. Um, Okay, Um, I got a couple things, actually. Uh, that I'm I'm sort of keen to talk about. You okay to to wrap on this for a little bit? Yes. Uh, cool.
0: I think we should wrap on it.
1: All right. So, um, Cubs are in the World Series, and okay. yes. I am sort of, uh, in, in sort of the way I'm from like Catholic stock, but I'm not Catholic. Like I'm from Cubs sure. stock, but I'm not really like a, a serious Cubs fan. Um. You know, I'm from, I'm from like, in a, a suburb of Chicago in, in Indiana. And, like, there were some kids who tried to affect, like, the White Sox-Cubs rivalry. But, like, come on. Like, it, it, like no. Yeah. Like, you, like, you couldn't name a neighborhood in the south or north side, buddy. Like, you don't have a team allegiance. Like, stop fronting. Um, but anyway, so this is the first year that I've gotten really, really, really into postseason baseball. Um, nice and it's been surprisingly good like i saw i saw two games at uh at dodger stadium uh when when the cubs and the oh, dodgers were playing, right. and that was uh that was that was heaven here on earth like gorgeous stadium um you know it's getting cool at night so you would be watching this game and you know the the evening chill would come in. You're, you're watching the Cubs sort of tear up the Dodgers, and it was it was fantastic. It's it, it's been wonderful. But this has also sort of been the year where I'm starting, like I'm invested enough that I'm starting to see baseball a little more. Like, and this game that was really opaque and boring to me, like years and years ago, is suddenly like I'm suddenly developing really like passionate opinions about like batting orders and like pitching rotations um and that's actually been, it's been a ton of fun like oh, baseball. it really is, is Yeah. it really is and i guess like i can sort of see the problem with it in that like i can't imagine following this game year round uh because like there's so much of it there's so much to keep track of <laughs> uh, but in this context of like a postseason uh where every game really really counts there's there's not you know there's not a there, there, there's not like uh, there's not another 80 games left to play. And you can sort of let this one go. Like these it's, it's do or die time for these teams every night. Um it's been it's been really enjoyable watching like these two teams, how they match up, and sort of the way they approach each other, and sort of these tactics and strategy of baseball um finally sort of becoming apparent to me, which is which is really, really cool. Uh now I'm also getting a Long overdue dose of like Cubs reality. Like their odds of oh, their odds yeah. of winning the series is real bad now. And uh, by the time <laughs> we we listen to this pod, you're listening to this podcast, like we'll know one way or the other. But um, you know, as of recording, Cubs are down three to two. They were down three to one. Uh, it's it's pretty bleak. But uh, it's been sort of the perfect. Uh, it's been the perfect event for this fall. Where I'm able to just like hang out with my friends and watch baseball for like hours at crack. And the other great thing about baseball is there's a <laughs> lot of downtime for you guys to talk about the game, talk about life. Like it is a really great sport if you want to like get into it with friends. Um, and I'm sort of seeing the peel, the appeal of it and like man, I think next year I'm gonna be at Dodger Stadium a lot.
0: Nice you're a fan
1: yeah it's it's happened I like it probably won't happen again no
0: I think that's great I, I I really like baseball baseball has always been a way that I bond with my dad we've been to many a Red Sox game I used to work at the, the Red Sox um, like they're Farm team, the Pawtucket Red Sox. I used to work at the stadium there for a while. Spent a lot of time there. It's like a block away from where I went to high school. It's two blocks away from my dad had his office when he had a private practice. We he has season tickets. We go to baseball games all summer long, fall, spring. I I love it. I love baseball. It's not even. It's weird because it's it's normally when I like a sport, it's because I've participated in it. I played softball when I was young, but not baseball. Baseball, and I just. I just have such fond memories of like bonding with my dad uh, over baseball. So I like I always have this just warm, happy feeling when people talk about baseball. I'm always like, "That's what I do with my dad. It's nice."
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's it can be a really wonderful sport, and I don't think I'd fully appreciated that. I though so much heart though. I also yeah. think it's become a more interesting sport, from what I understand. Like sure. watching sure. it with a few friends who are really into baseball makes me understand that like the baseball that I watched like when I was a kid kind of doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the game has sure. become very, very different. Like, Moneyball sort of gets at some of the differences um, in how teams are composed. But it's gone beyond that now. Where, like, yeah. even the way teams and pitchers, like, approach different batters and such, the sort of strategy of each out. Um, <laughs> the game is is a lot less like nine guys go out and stand in the field and wait for something to happen like there's a lot more going on than there used to be it's sort of how it seems so uh yeah, that's yeah. that's been pretty cool as well yeah so I'm, I'm reading this book uh 10% happier uh by Dan Harris which i'm finding kind of interesting um so basically it is a book about uh uh Dan Harris's uh think he was an abc journalist and he started having like, you know, it was a str- it's a stressful job uh, he started having some issues that were like affecting his career and his health um, yeah. and he started sort of going on this uh, like you know, sort of this, del- this deep dive into self help and like meditation and psychotherapy and stuff like that, trying to figure out a way to like Um, as he put it, like he wanted inner peace without the bad stuff, uh, is, is sort of the way, like, (laughs) like basically he wanted to continue being a really driven, intense journalist in sort of this cutthroat profession. He wanted to do that. He wanted to excel at it. He wanted to keep like doing like, you know, he wanted to keep living his life basically. Uh, so he didn't want any sort of like. (laughs) <laughs> like hippie-ish detachment from from anything he he wanted to be all in but he just wanted to stop killing him uh quite so much so the book sure. is is one part like an investigation into a lot of different aspects of um like uh sort of the, the self-help landscape uh from the, both good and bad right like who's out there peddling snake oil and who actually has some like stuff that seems to be founded on a solid a solid foundation Um, And so it's partly interesting from that perspective, but it's also just interesting from the perspective of someone who, like, really identifies with that that core conundrum of, like, man, like, my mind can be my own worst enemy at times. And I'm often, like, sort of, uh, you know, like, you're living, you're, like, living through the worst scenarios possible in your head. And thinking about like Constantly ways you can avoid them, but like really, you're kind of just living them all the time, yeah. and it's like that'd be cool to get rid of, but I don't want. <laughs> to be that much better than I am right now. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like, look, I'm not looking for enlightenment really. I'm just looking for a better way to live without sacrificing. You know, you know it's it's kind of that, right? Like, oh, I want to improve my diet, but like not that much. Like I don't want to be a vegetarian or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, and so this is kind of the, um, sort of the mental health equivalent of that. And I think that the book can be a little bit, uh, a bit glib. About uh, sure. about its subject matter, but I think that's partly it's it's strength it, it definitely is sort of trying to it's aggressively coming at it from this angle of This is a book for people who think You know m- m- Like meditation mindfulness uh, all that stuff all this stuff sounds like horseshit and Here's me telling you why <laughs> yeah. it's not um, yes. And that's actually been re- really interesting uh, And it's sort of been my other sort of project this weekend is reading this book and, and sort of reflecting a lot of that stuff because, um, you know, I mean, I, I definitely in in the subtext of this show and I think three moves ahead listeners have definitely picked up on the fact that like, uh, things are like incredibly stressful, uh, right now. And so I'm kind of like, this has sort of been a year where I can't keep kicking that can down the road anymore. Like it's okay. Well, it's, it's time to confront some of these things. like, the, like going to therapy a few years ago was great, and like headed off some crises very helpful yeah, but it sort of it 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 prevented crises like it it's it sort of, it's sort of like pushed back the edges of a forest fire, but it's still kind of burning, and so that's kind of the thing i'm 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 sort of working on and that was one of my weekend projects, and one reason why it was so delightful to sort of have a big deep gaming you know experience this weekend as well is just um I'm sort of really starting to prize those breaks from uh, the, the inner narrator, as as Harris puts it.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's extremely, extremely helpful. I like, I, I have, we talk about this sometimes, I have pretty bad anxiety. I have panic attacks. I have all that bullshit. And, uh, you know, it's been, it, it does get challenging at times, especially when I'm like, if I'm on my ambulance <laughs> and I start feeling pretty bad or if I'm like at work and, you know, it's been a year for me. I, I moved here to New York a year ago, yesterday, uh, tomorrow, rather. Actually, yes. Uh, sorry. I know you're listening to this in the future, but it's been a year, and I've, this is my third full-time job in a year, and I've, there's been a lot of change. There's been a lot of pets. There's been a lot of all sorts of stuff going on, so I, I appreciate that a lot, and I, the older I've gotten, the more I've gotten to that point of, like, I still have my salty New Englander of, like, ah, you know, what is this shit? Hippy-dippy shit. Uh, but I also fully believe in like mindfulness and like, yeah, you know what? I, I actually even started, um, doing a tiny bit of meditation again, basically. And for me, exercise is kind of, you know, when I think about it, it is kind of a meditation for me, especially in the last 72 hours. I, you know, I took a little bit of time to do a a quick workout every day and like, I needed that time. I needed that time to like, just fucking, (laughs) you know, like like quiet my mind down a little bit. That stuff is, is so important. And it's it's really, really important. Everybody has a complicated life. Everybody has shit in their life. And like, if you're a talker, find somebody that you can talk to. If you're not a talker, find something that, that helps you relieve that stress and helps you sort of relieve the pressures of everyday life. Like, No matter what you do, no matter how hard your life is, no matter how easy your life is, whatever, we're all on some kind of spectrum. Like we're all human beings. And we all need to like get some of that shit out and and deal with our shit basically. So it sounds like a fucking awesome <laughs> weekend project, actually, a very useful and a very very positive one.
1: Yeah, definitely, um, yeah. definitely has been. I think mean, it's also sort of brought me face to face, though, with like that that core conundrum of like <laughs> you know it's uh, <laughs> that that sort of that atmosphere line. Uh, you know, we love the things that hate us. Um,
0: Yes. I. It's yes.
1: that, that definitely sort of brought me face-to-face with that as well because, like, there's this weird, uh, like, a big, a big thrust of this book is, like, you just need to stop, like, obsessing over things and, like, plotting how to get what you <laughs> want and, like, living through painful yeah. memories and, like, sort of working through that stuff. And you need to get rid of all that. And I'm like, damn, I kind of like that shit. Like <laughs> but
0: also, how the fuck do you actually do that like it's one thing to say that like get rid of that shit and another thing to be like well, there's not like a physical chest of shit that I can toss like, well that's off, that's actually the, the, bridge, the, the core dilemma you know? of the book
1: that's sort of what launches the uh yeah. the author's investigation is that he sort of encounters like it's his first encounter with with sort of this philosophy is is with um you know, one of those real, like, head-in-the-clouds uh, self-help types. And he, he sort of asks, yeah. like, okay, yeah, you, like, I get it. Like, stop doing that. How? And nobody yes. had a good answer. And so that sort of launches the investigation of, like, okay, but, like, how do you actually put that into practice without becoming, like, completely detached from from everything you value? Um, yeah. So that that's definitely an interesting part of this book. But, yeah, I'm, I'm still struggling with that, like, but do I even want to get rid of that stuff? Right? It's again, like going back to the diet metaphor, it's like, yeah, we all want to be like healthier and and fitter and like feeling better. But where a lot of the stumble is, we also want the ability to just like fuck it, like I am going to eat that entire coffee toffee crunch like ice cream oh, thing, like yeah. I am going to do it, like <laughs> and you can't be, like right, you, like don't don't take that away from me. I want to do it, and the problem is that like to a degree, those well, things are incompatible. <laughs> And yeah, so like this is this is kind of the issue is like a lot of things that i that I think people value about themselves that make you sort of ambitious and um forward thinking and like make you a planner and make you efficient um are also a lot of times coming from a place that is slowly killing you, and that's sort yes. of a a core dilemma, and i'm I'm sort of like thinking about that. A lot lately, which is this. Yeah, I want to be a happier, more balanced person, but like, man, I don't want to give up all that like insane neurotic shit that I view as sort of <laughs> fundamental to my identity, either. Uh, so it's it's an interesting um, it's it's an interesting thing to be to be considering. Uh, yeah, but it's it's a it's a useful time to be doing so.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think that's a God. That's It's just so important. It's so important for all of us to kind of figure those things out as we get older. And also, that's a good note. I feel like that's like the opposite note of of how we ended the last segment of like, everything's trash. This is like, well, you know, at least there's some hope. There's some path forward. (laughs) You know, even if it's not easy, even if there's not enough toffee coffee crunch in it. So I'm I'm glad. I'm glad that you're reading that. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to endorse it and I'll actually talk about it maybe when I'm uh, a, a little bit more present, but... Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective sure is a hell of a board game. Oh, hell yeah. You should play it. Yeah. We need to talk about I mean, that. You should play it. Yeah, we yeah. should. We'll have a yeah. segment uh, in a future show maybe, for sure maybe, about that. Austin that's, will be That's
1: worthwhile. Maybe.
0: Oh, yeah. We will get oh, We can't talk about it till Austin's back. No, we back.
1: couldn't. We, we, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be <laughs> right. How could Austin we? Austin would get such a kick out How of it. How could
0: we? <sighs> We had so much fun. I had so much. Sitting next to Sam Barlow, I was geeking out a little bit because, based on just how much I loved her story. I was really geeking out a bit. He was doing the voices, Rob. He was doing all the voices oh, for all the shit. people. It was great. It was so God good. Sam Barlow was amazing. Oh, man. It was so good.
1: My weekend was garbage. Yeah, can, Thanks, Danielle.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. There, there
1: goes all that meditation <laughs> straight down the fucking drain.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I've ruined everything. Ruined it. Oh, God. Well, now that I've ruined it, uh, I think it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by me, and it's hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network.
1: You can learn more about Idle Weekend at IdleWeekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at IdleWeekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at idleweekend.
0: And we want to just thank you so much for listening, spending some time with us in your ears. If you're enjoying the show, please, please, please do take a moment to go ahead to iTunes, give us a little rating there. That helps us out so much. And please do tell your friends, tell your, you know, cellmates, tell your Twitch stream friends, tell whomever you think might enjoy this podcast. It helps us out so, so much. And word of mouth and iTunes ratings really are the best ways for you to help us out. So thank you so so much. Thank you again for sending in great letters. For Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo wishing you the finest of Idle Weekend.